When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi there. You're listening to the $2 Late Feet Podcast with Zach Schaefer and Dustin Rubin. We are two dudes who both worked at video stores and love the 1980s. We are glad you're here. In each episode, we discuss a movie from the 80s along with a song that was featured in that movie. Also, we talk to celebrities from that era. It's basically all about sharing our 80s love with you. Thanks for listening. Now on to the show. Welcome to another pulse-pounding episode of $2 Late Fee. I'm Zach Schaefer, and with me as always, my partner in 80s nostalgia crime, Dustin Rubin. Hello. (laughs) We have a very special episode today. In our first episode, we discussed the 1986 movie American Anthem and praised the heck out of its star. Well, today, joining us on the show is the Olympic gold medalist and Hall of Famer, star of American Anthem himself, Mitch Gaylord. So, Mitch, it's an absolute honor to have you on our podcast. Well, thanks, Zach and Dustin. It's a pleasure to be here. I look forward yes. to this uh, this conversation, reliving the 80s a little bit. Yeah, trip down memory lane, if you will. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Good times. It is. In our first episode, we talked about uh, full confession, I wanted to be you when I was a kid. <laughs> I said, this guy is so cool. I want to be a gymnast. I want to be a Uh gymnast. I want to have like kind of long hair, and I want to wear a leather jacket. Jacket was a big, a big point of of love. The jacket, the jacket was cool. But when I was growing up, there was no male gymnast to speak of, really, that that had any recognition. So I didn't even know about this sport until I started at around twelve years old. Believe it or not. Wow. But yeah. Wow. Well, and you're you're originally from uh, California, right? Southern California. Yeah, born and raised in, in the L.A. area in Van Nuys and uh, grew up mostly in the Valley and then ended up going to UCLA uh, when I was 18. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So, so you saw Van Nuys in its heyday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Has it turned into something different lately? Um, yeah, I could, I could say that. <laughs> we, we moved to Van Nuys when I was eight years old, and it was considered way out in the boonies compared to, you know, where life was. And I was so upset because I was like, what's out in the valley? We're a half hour right. away from everything. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. It's not, I'm sure it's not a half hour drive now to get from the valley to the city. No, there's actually uh, a live um, action show coming out soon where these stunt drivers drive through Los Angeles traffic. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a, I just saw the promo for it uh, today. And like, well, here we are. We're, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. So a 30 minute drive in the valley back then is probably a 90 minute drive now, but. Yeah. So you, so, okay. So you grew up in the Valley. Uh, you went to UCLA. You said you started, you said there was not anybody doing gymnastics um, as a kid. So what yeah. got you into gymnastics? Um, my mom actually got me into gymnastics because I was a pretty, pretty active kid and I was loving diving off of diving boards all the time. So she knew I had some sort of ability to flip. And I think what, what did it for her was, <laughs> awesome. yeah, the fact that I kept jumping off of our roof and I would put bed mattresses on the ground. And <laughs> back then I would put a beach towel around my neck and pretend I was Superman. So she knew there was awesome. something with flying and flipping. And our local, the local LA Valley College uh, is where she found a Saturday morning trampoline class. And that's how it all started. And so I went there and 
started bouncing on that sucker and, and knew I had found my home. It was just so natural to me and so much fun. And the coaches saw the ability that I had doing this and they, you know, I was their favorite pupil because I learned so quickly and they said, you should really, you know, think about doing gymnastics. There's a whole program here that you can join. And I was like, what is gymnastics? I I really had no clue. And, And that's how it started. That's so cool. That's amazing. So, so at that point, like being a, you said you were 12, that's it. Can you do you just do you accurately remember because you're saying like I, I jumped on the trampoline and that was my home? Was it one of those moments like where you were literally like you know the super band song is playing in your head like ding, 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 like this is what this is me this is my destiny kind of thing? <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. I, I would literally bounce for hours on the trampoline and um, talk about crash pads. The way you learn everything back then because they had no foam pits and. Just yeah. a brief a brief history of that. Please, foam, pit, foam pits came out when I was probably a freshman in college, and oh it was God. a way to learn skills where you didn't have to land on the ground. You landed into a dugout pit filled with foam. You could land literally on your head and be fine. But prior to that, when I was starting out in the sport, you just threw what they called crash pads underneath you when for on trampoline. If you're bouncing in the air and flipping, somebody is literally pushing the crash pad underneath you while you're in the air and if you make a mistake you land on that and uh like i said i just bounced for hours and i got a lot of attention because um like i said it it came so naturally to me and i had a real love for it so the coaches wanted to teach me everything they knew and then i was trying to come up with new tricks and skills and it's getting a lot of attention from the girls in the gym at that time too like Mm -hmm. who's this kid Mm -hmm. flipping and twisting in the air so (laughs) all of it added up together for me going three times a week after that very quickly into the gymnastics program but the real clincher though was uh the first trip to hawaii we did a cartwheel-a-thon because the club coaches (laughs) has had some friends in hawaii and we had to raise some money and that's the first time I had ever really traveled. And as soon as that happened, I, I was hooked. I was like, wow, you can do what you love. You can travel. Hawaii was like the best trip that I had ever, ever imagined, you know, doing something like that and seeing a place so beautiful and being able to interact with other kids my age from, a, you know, well, a different state, even though it felt like a different country back then. Yeah, right. But uh, that was it, man. And that that kept motivating me to do more and more trips and get great. I guess go higher and higher in the ranks. So I got better and better trips as time went on. That's awesome. I mean, that mm-hmm. that's a piece of our show that we talk about consistently is doing what you love and, mm-hmm. you know, following your bliss, if you will. Um, yeah. And that's really inspirational that as a, as a kid, you would recognize what you connected with because oftentimes kids don't do that. And you right. knew right away, okay, this is, this is what I want to do. This is what I'm good at. Um, yeah. All the factors were in place people ogling you and saying, Hey, yeah, you're cool, man. And take Mm -hmm. this trip. But then, and then there you are taking off. Yeah. You know, what's interesting about what you're saying is I didn't think about anything other than the love of what I was doing in Hmm. those early years. It it became apparent to me that, Oh wow, there's an actual path here to get a college scholarship. And then you can eventually go to the Olympics and compete on the USA team. Like those things came much later. and, And that's when I had to deal with a lot of mental stuff because the pressure used to get to me quite a bit and I would choke. Mm -hmm. And I always had to get back to the true love of what I was doing and that made all the difference in the world. Can you talk about what, yeah, what, uh, what was the shift? What got you from choking and feeling like you were not able to... Be number one in the world. Yes. <laughs> if you Total win. domination. <laughs> Brother. <laughs> well, it, it, I had a really, uh, really good coach by the name of Kurt Thomas who helped me recognize uh, and, accept my ta- <laughs> and accept my talent. Wait, that, he, the, uh, G- the Jim Cotta Jim Kurt, Cotta, Thomas? Kurt Thomas? Yes, it's Jim Cotta Kurt Thomas. Oh, and uh, So Kurt was a, f- a few years ahead of me, actually... I don't know how many, maybe four or five years ahead of me. He was supposed to go to the 80 Olympics, and we boycotted that year, if you remember those days. So he kind of missed his his, uh, big moment at the Games, but he was already a world champion on floor exercise, and he had enough celebrity endorsements at the time to start a professional tour. And so that's what he did in, I think it was 1981. And I was at UCLA at that time. I had a really terrible experience in Moscow at the World Championships where I was the alternate on the team because of choking. And so he and I got together on the plane flight back 
home and he was in first class and he said, you got to come up here and I need to talk with you. And he was the commentator for the uh, world championships for ABC back then. Hmm. And he basically said, what, what's going on with you, man? You're the most talented gymnast that we have in this country by far, yet you're making mistakes in the big competition and you really need to be leading our country. We need you on that floor. You should be number one in our country. What, you know, I, what did, basically, what's going on with you mentally? And so we had a heart-to-heart -heart for several hours on the plane. I knew in my gut uh, that I needed him to coach me from that point forward just because of the confidence that he instilled in me and the belief that he had in me. And he Wait. said he was going on this pro tour. You, know, you, can comp you can't compete on it for money. He goes, but if you can come on the tour... I'll coach you on a daily basis and you could perform at night during the competitions. You just can't, you know, be in it for the money if you want to retain your amateur status. So th that's what I did. And I did that for about a year. Wow. And it taught me the love of performing versus the fear of competition and basically just going out there and, and having a great time and trying to get the crowd excited about what I was doing. And, and that's really what it was. That and an incredible amount of hard training that went into yeah. it as well. Yeah. 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 Horizontal bar. Coach Abe Grossfeld calls him our most explosive gymnast. He's a good all-around performer and especially good in this event. He is just, he's crazy in this event, I'll tell you. You'll see what I mean as it goes along. He's in inverted. He'll pull pirouette out of that into stalders. And then you'll see a flyaway half-turn recatch, one of his release moves. Okay, that's not the biggie. He saved a nice Weiler kip. Now watch this Gaylord flip. You ready? Over oh, the top. My goodness. Got a very bad start back out of it. Had a triple flyaway. Here it comes. One, two, three. Yes. Oh, Mitch Gaylord is unreal. A triple, and his crowd is on its feet. What a Holy Pavilion is on its feet. What a great coach, though, to pull you aside and say, look, you have this and I want to get you to the top because that doesn't always mm -hmm. happen. You know, sometimes it takes a lot of personal motivation and you don't always have that person on the sideline saying, look, I'm going to get you there and you're going to get there. Right. You're going to do it. You're going to do the hard work, but I'm going to be there along the way. I think that's really amazing. Yeah, champion. It, yeah. 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 It's what the doctor ordered at the time because the coach I had at UCLA was very traditional and his other two gymnasts were Peter Vidmar and Tim Daggett, who both ended up on the Olympic team in 84 with me. But he trained them very differently than I needed to be trained. And he, he was non-compromising with me. And we were always button heads and, and it just never was going to work out. And then after, it was just like it was meant to be that Kurt was there and he offered for me to go on this tour. And, you know, fortunately, my parents, who uh, they needed to, to support that because I had no money at the time. And, you know, here I was on a full scholarship at UCLA. But they really understood that that Kurt was going to be the key to me advancing in the sport, and and they they backed it 100. percent That's awesome. That's fantastic. Yeah. Do you um you were mentioning butting heads with your coach when mm -hmm. it when it came time for American Anthem? Were you really relating to that in your character? Like, <laughs> yes, I used. Wait that. a minute. <laughs> this motivation. I know. I too know what it's like to butt heads with my coach. <laughs> I do. He was not Russian. He was Japanese, though, at the time. Oh. <laughs> and in the movie, it was a Russian coach. And, yes. uh, and uh, it was, you know what, guys, to be honest with you, it was an honor to be selected as the actor for that movie. But I, I was not an actor, you know, I was an athlete. And as much as they tried to get me to the to the level they needed me to be for the movie, it, it was never my calling to to go out there and continue to act. And, you know, what can I say? I had a great time doing it. But as far as being a method actor and drawing off of past experiences, <laughs> uh, no, no, that's not me. Look, I was going to say, uh, dare I say, you, you and Kurt and uh, many other athletes during that time quite possibly paved the way for the future rocks of the world and the John Cena's, if you yes, will, the yeah. athletes who turned into, uh, you know, really good actors. So, Well, I would love to be able to take credit for their success, but I cannot. Well, we're going to give you that credit. <laughs> yeah, you, no, you, yes. You've heard it here first. This is breaking news. All right. Mitch Gaylord yes, is responsible Pave for the, the way. rock. Pave the way for the rock. That's our, head, yes, that's our headline. Uh, before, we, before we get to American Anthem, uh, I just want to say, mm. so, so you said in, in, in 81 is when things kind of turned a corner for you, right? So, mm -hmm. and then in 84, on the way to 84, you were to stay in the course, correct? Well, Kurt and I couldn't continue on on the Pro Tour, so I ended up going back to UCLA. 
and uh, finishing out my, my college competitive years there. And we ended up winning the NC2A championships in 84. Oh, and wow. that was, so my brother ended up coaching me once I got back to uh, UCLA. It's a, it's a very long story, but that's uh, just what I had to do to retain my amateur status. They wouldn't let me stay on the pro tour, even though I wasn't getting any money. But um, I needed to do it. And then uh, the Olympics were actually at UCLA at Poly Pavilion in 84. So it became a very cool home court advantage from my, from my perspective. It just felt so natural and so comfortable to be there for the, for the games. Mitch Gaylord will be next. And Bart Connor, Tim Daggett, and Peter Vidmar. Here well, is Mitch. He's got the big one coming. This oh, boy. big Gaylord two, the flip that uh, he's been working. Trick that's named after him. He's coming up right now at the beginning of his routine. Takes it over the bar. No problem. No problem. He's got to be smiling at this point. Inverted Giants. Stalder, right into a Stalder. All he's got left is a dismount. He's going to do a half and half out. Play it a little bit safe. Pike position. Oh, yeah. The landing. Look out. That's going to keep him ahead. Look out. Here we go. This is totally a digression, but I just made a note. You, you were saying that you were in Hawaii doing a cartwheel-a-thon. I was just actually wondering what the logistics of a cartwheel-a-thon are. <laughs> if it's like you are cartwheeling until you don't, or somebody actually like, well, I'll give you this amount of money per cartwheel. Oh, it was were... it was per cartwheel, if you can believe it. And, um, <laughs> That's and I think I, I may have fudged the numbers a little bit when I told people, yeah, I did a thousand. <laughs> oh my God. Didn't we all didn't we all fudge numbers oh back then God. on our, our walk? Yeah, I can do a thousand cartwheels. <laughs> yes, no problem. That's amazing. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to make a connection to like that movie, that 70s movie, They Shoot Horses, Don't They, where it's like a dance-a-thon where you can't stop until you die, basically. <laughs> right. Well, that's what I was thinking, you know, because if you're, yeah, yeah. I, I don't, yeah. Mitch Gaylor, we'll do one more. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> You've got yes. it in you. Come yes. on, kid. For Mitch Gaylor, 1988 will be too late. The demands on the body are too great to stay in competitive shape. Mitch is hot now. He's in peak condition and at the top of his sport. Brother Chuck left gymnastics three years ago and has a successful movie career. But for now, Mitch is just footloose and carefree, hoping to give all the Gaylords something to dance about. Um, yes. Okay, so, so flashing into the, the Olympics, I mean, mm -hmm. let's talk about that a little bit to a long extent <laughs> that's so I, I i okay uh just a side note i have a five-year-old son and i was telling him this morning that i'm going to do this interview and he goes well who are you doing the interview with and i and i was telling him and i said do you understand like being a part of the olympics and i was showing him some of your footage and he's like wow that's really cool and i said yeah the olympics are and especially in 1984 i mean that is yes. to me is the most memorable olympics i was I was a kid at that time, you know, and, and, and here you are going on to the Olympics. Talk to us a little bit about that. Well, it, it was a, a big deal, obviously, and it was a dream that, that I had for, I would say it was about seven or eight years before 84, where I really looked at it as a possibility. Like it, it actually might happen one day, and, and that became the whole focus. And so by the time it arrives and you're actually there and you're representing the country and you know, you're going into the opening ceremonies with 100,000 screaming fans and, yeah. you know, you're getting more attention by the media than, than ever before. And, you know, it's a big deal. And the, it's, a, it, it's a fine line of being able to celebrate it at that point. Like, wow, I made it. Because you don't want to get into that frame of mind before you start competing because there's still a lot of work in front of you. Yeah. So there's, there's the fine line of celebrating and keeping serious for the competition. But I think we had a, we had a really good head coach, A.B. Grossfeld, who was uh, very good at focusing all of our attention. Uh, we were all a bunch of rivals uh, on that team. You know, We competed against each other in college. So um, we had to come together for the USA at this point, and we weren't used to that. And A.B. Grossfeld, a couple of weeks before the opening ceremonies, we were in training camp, and he said, hey, guys, I know everybody wants individual medals here, but the thing that we need to focus on is making history as a team yeah. because no, no men's team had ever won a medal in men's gymnastics Amazing. before that. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. So he, he said, let's make that our focus right now because that, that was determined after the first two days of competition, the team winner. And from that, you got selected for the individual finals. But he said, let's just focus on the team. Let's make history. Let's do something incredible for the sport of men's gymnastics in our country. And from there, all good things will happen because, you know, we'll be in a great place. And uh, 
it really set the stage for our focus and we ended up obviously going through those two days and, and cheering each other on and, and going through this highly intense competition, knowing that we had the support of each other yeah. and the coaches and that it made all the difference in the world. And, you know, we ended up winning to our surprise. And I think to everybody else's <laughs> surprise, we weren't, we weren't favored. That's for sure. I think everybody projected us to take a bronze medal. And wow. after the first night of competition, we were in first place beating the, the people's Republic of China they were the world champions at the time. Yep. And, and we're like, wow, we got these guys. We're, we're, oh, we're, that's awesome. You know, that's awesome. We, yeah, and, and it, it was just unreal. And the crowd was going crazy. And standing on the victory stand was unbelievable. And you know, watching the flag go up, hearing the national anthem, it's like you literally visualize that moment. And you never, you never quite embrace it until it's actually happening. And then mm-hmm. it's overwhelming, completely overwhelming of emotion and what's going on inside. And the flashbacks of what you went through to get there. Right, right, because it also quickly just goes from like we're just happy to be here to like wait a minute we can win this we can win this thing oh everything. yeah <laughs> yeah I'm getting goosebumps just, yeah. just kind of flashing back to watching it on television back in the day so I can only imagine what it was like in yeah. your guy's head <laughs> pressure's on at this point got to keep putting in these good routines Kip to a plange. Mitch following a 9-9 from Peter. I'm sure he wants a 9-9 or better. There's a little bit of originality. A back roll right to a cross. Obviously has the crowd behind him. He's pressed to a handstand. Another very well-tailored routine. Keeping the rings extremely still. Reverse work now. And we'll see if he throws his half in, half out, or his triple. Half in, half out, little safe. All but that's right. a nailed landing for Mitch Gaylord. Listen to this pavilion. They're on their feet. And I have a feeling that the judges are paying for those good landings. That's the only thing that's been lacking on the American team so far on the rings. Yeah, well, it's kind of interesting because it hasn't been done since. Like, the, the U.S. men's team has, has not won a gold medal since, and I, I believe the reason is because of the pressure. They feel now mm. they're expected to win. Be, and when we went in there, we weren't expected to win at all. We, like I said, we weren't, you know, the favorites. And that took a lot of pressure off of us. And yeah. so once we started feeling that momentum, it just became this increasing optimism that, oh, my God, we can actually do this. And I think the guys that go into competition now, it's like, oh, God, we're supposed to win. Yeah. And that's a whole different mindset. Yep. And, you know? and hopefully the, the team is listening to this podcast and they're going to hear your words and they're going to. My words of wisdom. They should talk to the, they should talk to the women's team because they got it down. <laughs> I mean, really? they, they are really? ass kickers, those guys. And Women are Simone, killing it right really. now. Oh, yeah. Well, look at the, who's leading the team, Simone Biles. I mean, I don't think there's any – I mean, she's got to be the greatest of all time at this point, in my opinion. Wow. I mean, the, yeah. the way I judge that, like it's always been Nadia and then what Mary Lou Retton did. And, there, and there's been some greats after that. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to sit here and name them all. Yeah. But I, I judge it by how much better is that person than everybody else. And that truly shows a level of, of greatness that you don't see that often. And Simone Biles ha- has that going on for her in, in a huge way right now. Do you think they have that same mentality? Like, we have to win. We have to do this. It, there, is, there is no other option. I don't, I don't. I think if the coaches were putting that on their athletes, it would be really bad, okay. and I don't think they would get the results that they're getting. I think when you when you think back in history at maybe some of the Eastern Bloc countries, and that's how they were. You know, we're, you know, we're going to win, or or you guys are going to Siberia or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that that's what we grew up thinking was going on over there. I don't know how accurate it is or not, but I know as an athlete that that kind of pressure is just not healthy. Mm. Uh, it's more about yeah. you know enjoying the experience training as hard as you possibly can before it so that you know you're prepared and you get in there and you you can compete to your your the best of your ability and and let the cards fall where they may so doing your absolute personal best because i know you know i I was a kindergarten teacher for 15 years so uh you know i was always talking to five and six year olds about doing your absolute best and not worrying about Mm. the other people but just doing your best and and i I like that attitude of just you know you do you right and, and and not giving up 
Yeah, and I and I agree with that. And you know, there's two sides of the debate of you know how much praise you should give a kid for doing their best, even though it's it sucked. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> you don't want to give them a false sense of you yeah. know person you know whatever. But then again, you also don't yeah. want to discourage kids. So there's there's definitely a fine line. But when you get to the elite level of your sport, yes, there's pressure, and yeah. yes, you need to do your absolute best, and you feel completely terrible if you don't and you feel like you let your team down the country down the whole usa gymnastics organization down so there's a ton of pressure oh, God, and, even, and by, talking you know, <laughs> even talking about it even talking about it my know, hands are getting clammy uh, but, <laughs> no but by that but, but in all honesty in order for you to get to that elite level you, you learn how to deal with all that and you learn how to you know quiet the negative voice that could be in your head to take you off track and all other sorts of things do you think it helped? Uh, you said you said you were competing with your teammates. You guys were mm-hmm. competitors against each other. Do you, th- do you think that helped you guys? It, it definitely raised all of our level to a higher level because you know once one person does you know something that nobody else can do, then the other people are inspired to do the same. Yeah. And so you're constantly trying to outdo your competitors. So it, it lifts everybody to a higher level. But then once you're in it together. It's not about beating the other guy. It's about coming together as a team and, and really supporting each other so that everybody can do their best. And, and that's really, like I said, the atmosphere that A.B. Grossville created for us. It was awesome. There's something you want badly. Are you sure you know what it is? Just give me a chance. It's never going to be great. That's up to you, isn't it? Keep working. Make it better. You got nothing! You had an opportunity, and you blew it! You gave up! What about you? He thinks he let you down. He hasn't let me down. It's just the opposite. If you quit now, you'll just be a loser. First it's a scholarship, now it's this. What's next, me? I will turn around, try to understand All of the feelings I said If you're serious, love me American Anthem, the new vision of love and triumph from the director of Purple Rain. Featuring the music of Mr. Mister, Stevie Nicks, Andy Taylor, John Parr, and NXS. Mitch, can you just talk about the just the process of being of being cast in this movie? Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned a little bit. Yeah. Well, it, it like I said, I, I didn't have ambition or goals to be an actor after the Olympics. It just kind of happened. Um, they were researching for the movie American Anthem, and there was another movie that was supposed to come out that never did. Here's some backstory for you guys called Parallels. Love it. Ooh. And uh, Parallels was supposed to star Tom Cruise, and David Geffen was going to uh, produce it. And wow. so they, they brought me in to double Tom Cruise, and so I had a meeting with, with Geffen on that. And at the same time, Albert Magnolia and Freddie Fields Freddie Fields is the producer of American Anthem, and Magnolia was big director of Purple Rain, if you yeah. remember him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so he, this was his next movie. And so they were talking to my agent about potentially having me act in it, not just double in it. So basically what happened was one of those two movies was going to be made, not both of them, because there weren't that many gymnasts going around that could just be on set for both of these movies at the same time. And when as soon and when I met with Albert Magnoli, that was it. Uh, you know, I met with him and Freddie Fields in, in their offices, and he basically uh, told me the entire story of the screenplay uh, without ever opening up the screenplay. I mean, he literally just stared at me. He was going through the motion. <laughs> the guy's so intense. Oh, and, um, and talk about an, the ultimate salesman. He could sell anything to anybody. And, and I just felt like, how can I not do this? This guy actually believes that he can get me to the level he needs me to be at for the movie as the lead actor. And they were paying me a lot of money. And I just told my agent, I want to do this. I mean, he has that confidence in me. And, and why wouldn't I, you know, I can't pass this up. 
And so anyways, that's how it started. We went into acting rehearsals. They hired an acting coach. That's when I met Janet Jones. Mm -hmm. uh, she's Janet Gretzky now, but back then she was Janet Jones. She had already done the movie... Uh, with Matt Dillon, where she was the bathing suit girl. Help me remember the name of that movie. <laughs> yeah, Flamingo that, Kid. Yeah, Flamingo yeah, okay. Kid. Yeah. yeah, so I knew who she was, and I was obviously super intimidated and excited to meet her. And here I am in acting class with her, <laughs> just with the, the one acting coach and her and I. And, uh, that was quite the experience. But we did that for a couple of months before we ended up going to Arizona and starting you know, pre-production out there and assembling all the gymnasts and... Uh, we had training and all sorts of things that were building a, a set that was what became, you know, our gymnastics center and the competition where we shot all the, those scenes. And then we, we shot we shot a bunch of it in Phoenix, Arizona, and we also shot a bunch in Flagstaff, Arizona. This the famous high bar scene in the woods. Oh yeah. yeah. In the in I the know. rain. Yeah, everybody does that, right? <laughs> I was gonna ask you if you had a tetanus shot before that because I was really nervous for you in that scene. You know, that that scene was one of the uh, the worst nights of the entire shoot oh, because it oh, was man. freezing cold and they're pouring rain on me and I had to roll down the hill when I wiped out, and they had to shoot the scene too many times. It's literally middle of the night, 3 and 4 a.m. Oh it's freezing cold. And he's like, you can't be shivering. We have to catch the shot of you if you're just breathing. And I'm like, are you kidding? I oh am God. shivering because I'm freezing. Right. You know? and That's what the it body was just does. A, oh it God. was a long night, man. But I have pneumonia. Shot, I don't know. Yeah, it could have been pneumonia. I don't know about the tetanus <laughs> stuff. But anyways, it's, it, they shot it beautifully. I thought the movie was shot beautifully. I mean, yeah. the cinematographer was unreal. And I'll tell you a really funny story. His name was Don, Don Thorne. He was a famous cinematographer, and he was also a chain smoker. And I had to smoke, I had to smoke for the movie. Yeah, there, you did a lot of smoking yeah, in yeah. this movie. Yeah, which is kind of ridiculous but I, <laughs> yeah. I ended up and I ended up you know wanting to really smoke because I didn't want to fake it and so I learned how to smoke for the movie and one night wow take That's take yep so maybe I was a method actor yeah, there you heart. go <laughs> um, re remind me remind me to talk about Logan's run in a second we'll okay. get back yep. to that yep. but one night on the set it was going hours for hours and I was smoking during the scene and I started to get lightheaded and I told Albert Magnolia, I said, hey, I don't know how many more takes I could do this. This is really literally making me lightheaded. I feel like I'm going to pass out. And he goes, well, just try one more, one more take. So we do one more take, and I seriously almost passed out. And so he had to cut, and he looks at Donald Thorne, and he goes, Thorne, he goes, Look what this shit does to you. you look what this smoking does to you. And, and Donald Thorne, everyone's looking at Donald Thorne, who's smoking at the time. He goes, well, you should fucking see me try gymnastics. <laughs> That's sorry. awesome. That's great. I was quoting him, guys. Sorry for the F-bomb. No, it's all good. It was, it was that hilarious. That is great. No, you feel free to F-bomb all you want. Yeah, please. Yeah. Right. Look, no, I, It's just one of those funny yeah. moments. I've had 20 years of like having to purposely yeah. not swear because I'm in front of kids all the time. So now, that, yeah. But I do anyways behind the scenes. <laughs> You know, so yeah. it's just my natural instinct. So I think when Dustin first met me, he's like, "Does this guy swear? Is this what's going on?" No, it's all good. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's I don't, did I? I don't. No, I, I don't think I you wasn't did. like. That. No, no, never. No. So I was like, was this, this guy can't stop swearing now because he's just trying to get it out of his system, <laughs> right? And smoking all the time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so was this the was this the uh, the outdoor scene uh, when you first meet Janet Jones' character? Is that is that the scene you're just talking about? Where no, no, that was a, a daytime scene, and it was a nighttime scene. I think it was in Flagstaff, and okay. it was uh, I can't even remember it right now because I passed out. I have no recollection of it. <laughs> did you? Did you? I hope that you weren't. Did you stop smoking after the movie was over? Oh God, yes, of <laughs> okay. course, of course. I, I hated it, guys. To be yeah, honest with yeah. you, I, I I did not get addicted. I absolutely hated it, and I hated the taste. I hated the smell, and so there was no chance it was going to go past that. But you were saying you're right. Like it, it is beautifully shot, and I think what Dustin and I discussed in uh, in the in the in the episode when we reviewed uh, American Anthem and the song Two Hearts because we love that song. Mm -hmm. We were yeah, actually talking about turning that yes. into a theme song for our show, yeah. calling it Two Dudes, Two Dudes <laughs> Who Love Movies. That was my that was my favorite track of the whole uh, soundtrack. Absolutely. I mean, it's yeah. a great yeah. song. It's it totally great. Song. Yeah, and yeah. and it is beautifully shot and. I'm, we're huge fans of montages, and, uh -huh. uh, and, and there's something about 80, the, the 80s really captured that time of, of getting you, empowering uh, the viewer to feel like they could conquer the world. And mm -hmm. there are so many moments in this movie where you're just like, yeah, I can do this. 
I can get up on that bar in the middle of the forest and spin around, you know, do my thing and clearly cannot because you end up hurting yourself. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, that was one of the things that we loved about it was, was the mm-hmm. fact that you just exuded this kind of James Dean cool. I mean, I get the feeling that that's what they were going for, this kind of rebel without a cause kind of vibe yeah. and um, yep. in the angst that was going on with the family issues. And, and it, mm-hmm. it's relatable in some ways. You know, we've, we talked about uh, on a regular basis how a lot of 80s movies are flawed, but there's the, a lot of charm in that too. Yeah, and you, you're being very kind. I mean, they, they, <laughs> the, the critics kind of, uh, they attacked us after the movie. And I think a lot of that had to do with the buildup and the hype for it and the fact that he had just come off Purple Rain and yeah. that whole thing. Um, ironically, it didn't do great at the box office, but boy, it sure, sure did good Cold on following. video rentals. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's still it's still very known to this day. I mean, yep. it's a cult classic in the gymnastics world. and kind of funny well you know we call ourselves our podcast it's called two dollar late fee and that's in ref- mm-hmm. reference to if you don't bring the movie back the next night before 7 p.m yes. you get charged I, I think i was charged or my family was charged quite a few times for not <laughs> bringing this movie back because i loved it yeah. so much I, I mean i absolutely did and and the, the critics are supposed that's their job right unfortunately right. everybody's a critic nowadays but i think that's what that was one of the reasons why we decided to launch this podcast was to talk about mm-hmm. the love that we have because everybody can trash yeah. things up and down but what did we love about it and clearly having right. you on the show is is an even higher notch to that. that yeah, well, I, I, I love that you guys are doing that. There's too much negativity out there. And, and you're right. There was inspiration in those movies. And why not focus in on that? It makes you, makes you feel good and more motivated to do it in your own life. What's yeah. wrong with that? It's all good stuff. Exactly. Did, uh, mm-hmm. I think Janet Jones had like a fitness uh, video or something like that. I don't know if it was before American Anthem or after. You definitely she mentioned did something. Yeah. yeah, she did something afterwards with uh, one of the infomercial producers, and I can't remember what one she did. Oh, it was um, Jackie Chan. Is that the guy's name? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think they did one together. I don't oh. think it did great, unfortunately. Um, I, I actually know that whole world because I did a bunch of stuff after the Olympics with Suzanne Summers and American Telecast. And yeah. <laughs> torso track and I did my own infomercial maybe 10 years ago you know it's it's a very interesting world that whole fitness world and infomercials and it's changed quite a bit now with social media marketing and all that you don't have to spend so much buying media time on television to do it I mean, so Suzanne Summers pioneered the uh, the infomercial oh, fitness. Yes. Yeah, come yeah. on. I mean, there's I that, know it's fantastic. Um, yeah, uh, well, you, Janet Jones and uh, Jackie Chan had worked together. You said, but um, yeah, Kurt Thomas when he did that Jim Cotta movie, uh, we had um, Richard Norton on our show as well for an interview, mm-hmm. and he he's a stunt coordinator now and and uh, has done mm-hmm. a multitude of movies, but talked about how he did Jim Cotta with Kurt and how Kurt was going to be like the next you know Jackie Chan at the time the american jackie mm-hmm. chan i guess um were did did, did did there were there aspirations after you did american anthem to do more films well during the filming of the movie uh freddie fields said that he was going to give me a three-picture deal talk to my agent they talked numbers and it was more money than i had ever <laughs> you guys got to realize i grew up in van nuys as we said yeah <laughs> in a very yeah. middle class home uh you know humble yeah. And here, here we're talking in, in you know, millions of dollars, three movie deals, this and that. You're going to be the next Tom Cruise. And my agent said to me, uh, there's no way we're taking this deal now. He's trying to get you for cheap before American oh Anthem gets God. released. Wow. And, uh, oh my yeah, God. that was right. quite the bummer. Right. <laughs> like, like, didn't quite turn oh out that man. way. Oh, man. But, right. Uh, so the lesson is always take the first deal. Yeah. <laughs> bird in the hand. Bird in the hand. Right. You you uh, you said uh, to to come back to Logan's Run at some. Oh point. yes, I was. Yeah, because I I told you I had no aspirations of being an actor or making that my career. But when I was twelve years old, I actually was in Logan's Run. Just imagine a world where you will hold your entire future in the palm of your hand when a tiny glowing crystal will guide you through an existence in which each day is more wonderful than the last, where it will be possible for you to obtain the fulfillment of every fantasy, the satisfaction of every vanity, the absolute attainment of every wish. Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer presents the Saul David production of Logan's Run. A fantastic journey through a world beyond imagination. Welcome to the 23rd century. 
the perfect world of total pleasure. Imagine a world in which you need never be alone. You touch a switch, turn a dial, and the perfect lover steps into your arms. Every pleasure is yours to experience. Runner! There's just one catch. When the tiny crystal in the palm of your hand flashes its final message, your time is up. And so I was, <laughs> which is, oh, I was I one love of those, that, movie. that movie was great, man. Yeah, that was a I think so. big time futuristic movie. And I got to meet Farrah Fawcett, who there was nobody hotter at the time and oh. a bigger star. And I was 13 years old and just starstruck and got to meet her on the set. And it was a fun, fun experience. I think we were on, on set for about two weeks at MGM and we were the little thugs that attacked, um, I don't remember the names. Michael York and Jenny Argutter yeah. were the two, wow. two leads. <laughs> that just came out of nowhere. Wow, I'm but I remember that. You're yeah. sharp. <laughs> now, now he is known for Austin Power. <laughs> Michael, right. Michael York. Yeah, I know. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. Like, oh, I remember yes. you from this. And uh, uh, kids had seen uh, the school I was at, uh, Slash was there. And the kids were like, oh, that's the guy from Guitar Hero. I'm like, no, that's <laughs> Guitar Hero. No, He's oh, man. Really, really great music. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So yeah. you went from Farrah Fawcett at 12 to you know uh you know american anthem with janet jones uh yeah. you know it's like this is like a natural progression uh <laughs> if you will if you will um yes. but so overall your experiences on american anthem were were positive then right oh heck yeah yeah i had a blast man i had a ton of fun and That's so cool yeah it was a a great experience the the release of the movie was tough for me all, all the the press that i did and um you know in anticipation of the release and the the big, what's the thing called where it, you get, wow, now my mind is really going blank. The <laughs> premiere, the premiere, yes. that whole thing. Yeah, yes. That was almost too overwhelming for me. That was, you know, they rolled out the red carpet. It was every press outlet was there. It was in New York. And they, you know, the pressure of that was like, oh, my God, I hope this movie works. And, you know, it didn't. <laughs> so it was a, it was quite a letdown based on all the critics and the response at that point. And it felt like at that time, guys, to be honest, it felt like a failure to me because oh. I was just, I was just another athlete that tried to do this and it didn't work. Oh, that's a bummer. And so that, that kind of led me into a, a little bit of a, a bad course in life for a couple of years. And, uh, you know, then I came to my senses and realized, wait a minute, you know, I'm a lot more than just a, a movie and being an actor in a movie and need to get my life back together. But I think we all go through that in life. You go through the ups and downs, and, and that was just my Absolutely. time period. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's hard, too, because like you're saying, there is so much hype. I mean, you are coming off the, the 84 Olympics. There's a lot of, I mean, it's a different kind of pressure, too, yeah. in, in a world yeah. that you're not familiar with, and everyone's telling you, you know, you're going to be the next Tom Cruise. I mean, that's a lot. You can't not have that in your head. Head, yeah. Like, oh well. I mean, yeah. I guess I will be, but well, that's weird. And what's <laughs> happening? And you know, this is all unfamiliar. Yeah. I didn't grow up with any of this, and now I've gone from you know the world stage on one hand to a world stage mm -hmm. on another. Yeah, and it's yeah, it's it's just a lot. And then you start believing all the hype, and nothing's right. real. And yeah, so yeah. Totally. Biggest difference between being an actor and being an athlete is as an athlete. Well, at least as a gymnast, I should say, is you have a heck of a lot of control over your own destiny. I mean, it's you putting in the hours and it's you going out there and competing. Yeah. And yes, you get judged, but it's still, you have a ton of control over your destiny. And in acting, you're talking about hundreds of people putting a movie together, director, producers, PR, you know, everything else. Yeah, story yeah, yeah. Yeah. Talk. I mean, you got a, a gigantic team of people and you're one piece of that puzzle, you know, and it's not like I wrote, directed and produced it like Sylvester Stallone did in Rocky. You know, it's, it's like, I don't know. No, it's, you're yeah. absolutely right. It's it making that it, it, you can have as much control over who you are, but you can't mm -hmm. control what else is going on around that. And like you said, being an yeah. athlete, you, there's a difference, there's a different level of control. And right. I, I think my question to you is, is you, you talked about how, you know, you had a low point and, but you pulled yourself out. And mm -hmm. I think we all have low points that we pull ourselves out of, so low that we don't think we're ever going to get out of it. And right. like, what what advice would you give to people as far as that's concerned? Like, you know, who are going through that, struggling or feeling like they're less than? Well, uh, it's. I mean, I don't want to sit here and sound like I have all the answers because I don't. I yeah. just know that what worked for me was to stop 
A, feeling sorry for myself. That was the first thing. And start to recognize what I had accomplished in life and how meaningful and important that was. And also, probably the main lesson I learned is that um, you got to go out there and give of yourself. It's not all about taking and, and getting stuff for you and for yeah. your ego. And I think, you know, a, as an elite athlete, it is all about you. You know, you mm-hmm. are out there and it and it, it's kind of what your world is. But after the Olympics, I saw the impact we had on the public and how, how meaningful it was for them to share in that experience. And Peter Vidmar, who was my teammate, had been doing tons of speeches to corporate America after the Olympics. That was kind of his path. And he actually suggested that I give that a try and go out there and share my message with people and start talking with people about the things that we all deal with to overcome adversity and you know find, find that strength within us to become better. And I found it to be incredibly fulfilling. Once I got over the fear of it, it scared the crap out of me at first, right, just to course. be in front of an audience. Cause you know, you're, you're exposing yourself in a way that's not performing as an athlete. You know, you're sharing a lot about your soul and who you are as a person. So it was scary, but it was also rewarding. And I started to feel more purpose driven in life again. And that's what was the shift for me. Are you still doing public speaking now? I do. I do just not as often as I used to. Um, Right now, so much of my focus is in our fitness studios, and believe it or not, you know I enjoy helping people with their personal fitness transformations now, yeah. you know you know really helping them and usually it 's mental more than physical, so it 's more about the encouragement of keeping people consistently doing what they need to do to to make their change and and become healthy and feeling great about themselves and I love doing that, and I'm, I'm finding other ways to do that besides just in our studios, but actually making an impact through social media and through projects that I'm working on right now as well. Love but that. I I'll always say yes to a to a local speech, especially if it's kids, you know, like high school and you know middle school kids, because I, I feel like they really need to hear some of the messages that that I feel made a huge difference in my life. So I like sharing those stories. Yeah, and and in, in a time like right now, we're not getting many positive messages um, mm. all the time. So yeah, we're all about that. Right. We're all about the positivity and the, and I mean, both of us, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting because fitness has been a huge part of my life as a, as a, as a teacher and personally and, and how big of an impact that has on you mentally as well. Mm-hmm. And when you're taking that time to, you know, get those endorphins going or, you know, taking a yoga class to find their, your center or, you know, meditating or whatever, and getting you to that place of like pushing out the negative and bringing in the positive And I don't know. It's, yeah. it's a beautiful yeah. thing, you know, it is a beautiful thing. And I think once people recognize that it can be attained very quickly through uh, fitness, whether it's meditating through yoga or through, it's just a hard workout where you're forced to quiet your mind and get in the moment. I think that's what we all crave and need. And I always say that whenever I feel out of balance, like mentally or spiritually, the first thing I do is work out because I know it will quiet yeah. all those negative thoughts totally. and it, and it kind of recenters me because it, it's so familiar to me. I've always had that as a kid of, of finding my center and going within and, and feeling the, the strength. And, and I guess the connection to the higher power is in there somewhere. And that's where I've always felt it from. Yeah, I think yeah. it is. I think that's mm-hmm. the place of spirituality where you go, yep. Oh, I can feel this, you know? And, yeah. and, and so I, I was going to say, um, you're, you have uh, three fitness studios now in Texas, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Yes, indeed. And you've had those for a little while, right? Uh, we're going on, coming up on five years, not all three of them. We, we started the first one almost five years ago. And I got to give credit to my wife. It's really her baby. And it's, uh, it's, it's based on uh, the Megaformer, which is a very advanced version. If people have never heard of that, Legree Fitness is what it is. But it's based off the original Reformer in Pilates. And then mm. Sebastian Legree made it a way more advanced machine and more athletic. And hmm. My wife just loved it, and it started out very much as mostly a women's workout, but wow, we've got about 60, 40 now of men and women just because wow. you know, men see the benefit of it as well, and especially people getting older because you don't want to be out there you know, putting a bunch of stress on your joints, nope. so there's really right. no, Im- no impact in the workout, and it's very much focused on your core 
and balance and stretching and strengthening. And so I think it's a super healthy right. way of getting into great shape. Can you open one out here? Because I could really <laughs> use all of these things. They're all over the place where you guys are. They're just different names. No, so, but yours. I want yeah. your. I, oh, want, ours, I yes. want yours. Yeah. <laughs> I want you to train me, Mitch, is what I'm getting. <laughs> Cause, cause <laughs> what, that's what I'm I will getting. be out there tomorrow. Okay, perfect. <laughs> we'll queue up two hearts. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only that's American funny, anthem man. soundtrack is played 24-7. That's and, it. Yes. Yeah. Now, you guys are, are laughing about it, but my classes, I only play music from the 70s and the yes! 80s. Yes! Oh, <laughs> my God. Oh, yeah. Well, Jinx. No, that's... I love it, though. That's yeah. what... We, we, Zach and I both yeah. work out to 80s soundtracks, yeah. basically. That, that, awesome. That's, Eye of the Tiger, baby. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah, my... my uh, th- so there's there's these, like, three mixes that I've shared with Dustin, and that, that's actually how he and I met and bonded over kind of 80s music. And, and uh, it's amazing when you see, like, a little kid singing Eye of the Tiger or the thunder in your heart daddy you like that song (laughs) (laughs) one specific kid (laughs) that being my kid much to the chagrin of my wife but I would say that uh, you know uh, shout out once to your wife and to women in general for killing it and and bringing a new awareness to people this Mm -hmm. breaking down this stereotype that only men should you know men work out with weights and they uh, you know you jog for your cardio it's like well no there's other (laughs) forms too that cannot open up the mind, expand a little bit. So that's great that she's that uh, that you guys are doing this together and 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 in your continuing on this idea of yeah. like keeping people fit and because it gets your mind in a much better space. Yeah, it's, it's it, when you can be around like-minded people who are viewing health, fitness and wellness as a priority in life, that's a great thing. And so we want to be around that as much as possible. So I have this vision of um, you know, Dustin and I being in LA, we're, and they're constantly coming up with new uh, ideas for movies and whatnot, and saying we should need to make a new '80s montage movie. Uh, you, you can, you know, get back on the pummel horse and uh, and the high mm. bars, and <laughs> you know, let's do an American Anthem Part Two. I don't think I could do that stuff anymore, guys. <laughs> you know what's funny is I could. I started on trampoline for the love of flipping and twisting, and I can still flip and twist in the air, no problem. Like, I still have that natural ability. But if you put me on a high bar or parallel bars or pommel horse, there's no way I could do any of that stuff right now. It's all the, the timing and the strength that you need mm, yeah. to, to do that is just at a whole other level. And uh, it's just funny, man. So you, you're not going to see me on any of those apparatus. <laughs> You'll be the coach. Soon. You'll be the coach. Yes, I will be yeah. the coach. Well, I, I, was, I, I meant to ask you about um, doubling uh, Chris O'Donnell for... Um, for the, for the uh, Batman, Batman Forever. forever. Yeah. How, how was that experience? That was fun, man. That was a lot of fun. Um, it was also dangerous, and I, I had no idea how dangerous stunts were until I did that movie, and they were asking me to do stuff that regular stuntmen do, not a gymnast. Uh, right. Who, yeah, yeah. You know, they hired me because, oh, you're a gymnast? You could do trapeze. I'm like, yeah. I've never done trapeze in my oh life, my but God. I could probably oh, no. learn it. And so I did, and, and that was fun. That was in my wheelhouse. But I was I was a really good match for Chris O'Donnell. We're the exact same height and weight, and it, it was I was a good double. So they wanted me to do more of the things that they would probably have hired other stump people to come in for. Right. And so they were like, oh, you could do this, Mitch. You could do that, Mitch. You could do this. We'll and set you on fire, yeah, Mitch, right? Exactly. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. I didn't even know. <laughs> I probably would have drawn the line on that for sure, the fire yeah. thing. But they did me other things with me where I was in underwater scenes strapped into a seatbelt and, and I was supposed to be drowning. And mm-hmm. literally, I almost did one day. And the stunt coordinator, before they pushed me into the pool where we were shooting it, oh, was... Good. I, I said, I'm going, Conrad, I'm really, really nervous. I don't know if I can do this. I'm panicking right now. And he goes, just breathe, just breathe. You're going to be fine. I go, Conrad, I'm going to be underwater. I can't breathe. I'm not going to be able to breathe. And he said, see that dude right there, Mitch? I'm gonna, I go, yeah. He goes, he's an ex-Navy SEAL. He'll bring you back to life if anything happens. Oh, oh my you. God. That's what, that's, uh, he literally thanks. told me that. Oh, yeah, yeah, really. Yeah. This isn't flatliners. And, you know? um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So that was, that was one that's... very unenjoyable day of filming. And then the other day where I literally, I, I mean, I would have quit, but it was the last day of filming anyways. But they, it, was the, it was when the Joker and the Riddler were playing sink the battleship and the bat yeah. the bat boat was driving through the harbor and it got blown up in the in the scene and I was the stunt guy driving the boat at the time <laughs> and it literally I'm not kidding you it literally blew up the boat because there was oh a there was that pyrotechnic thing on the back of the boat with oh the flame 
And the thing that they set off uh, in the water, they were shooting off water spouts all over the place, so it looked real. One yeah. of them hit the, hit the boat. It, it literally lifted the boat off the water, you know, six or eight feet. It exploded the back, and I'm in this boat, and it... It just literally scared the shit out of me because I got <laughs> yeah. hit, and that and that wasn't it. Because as the boat landed in the water, the entire barge of the production crew is like waving their arms frantically at me, and I'm literally in shock right now. I don't know what's going on. I'm in the stupid Robin costume at the time, <laughs> right? And there, and as I get closer to the barge, they're yelling yeah. at me to jump out of the boat because it's on fire. Oh my god. And the water has flames in it because all the gasoline. Oh, my God. So I'm like, oh, my God. So I jump in the water, and they come pick me up in the rescue boat, zoom me out of there. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me, man? You know, I could have died just now. And they're like, are you okay? And I'm like, I guess so. And they're like, well, we're going to give you a huge stunt adjustment. Just don't sue us. Oh, <laughs> yeah. my God. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wow. So like, yeah. Yeah. That, that Navy SEAL's still here. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. He'll bring you back to He will to put life. you yeah. back together. Yeah. He will, he will oh fuse your spine. God. I thought they were going to say, this Navy SEAL's here, so you better not say anything, because he'll, you know. <laughs> oh, God. That's bananas. <laughs> wow. Jeez. Wow. Anyhow. I'm like, glad I asked fun. that question then. Uh, right? I haven't told that story <laughs> really? in many, many years. Really? I, I swore off. I literally swore off doing stunts from that point forward because I got yeah. asked to do a lot of stuff after that. And anyways, I did one other thing. Um, I can't think of the name of it right now, but it was some uh, martial arts movie. I can't think of it, but I just did some flip in the movie. And then I was like, okay, well, this is not me. I'm not doing any of any of this anymore. Yeah. But, uh, was, it was, a, like, was it Confessions of an Action Star? Uh, <laughs> I did do that, but there was no stunts in that movie. Okay, okay. It was, uh, oh, it was Mortal Kombat. Mortal oh, Kombat. oh, yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, so I did some stunts on that, but that was the end of my stunt career. And and one thing I did do that my friend uh, Chris Casa just sent me pictures of us, and I, I it was I literally laughed harder on that one day than any day in my entire life. And we were flying Elvises, Elvis Presley, <laughs> oh, for yeah. for Cheryl Crow's Leaving Las Vegas video. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and, and Chris was doing a favor for his stunt coordinator friend, and they needed two two of us to be flying in the air with Elvis costumes on. And we were out in the middle of the Mojave Desert, and um, wow, he just sent me some pictures of it, and it reminded me that we. We literally laughed all day long at how, how stupid and silly we looked flying through the air as Elvis. <laughs> it's a great music video, though. though. Yeah, I love that. That is awesome, man. Yeah. It's awesome. Well, what a, what a trip. What a wild ride mm-hmm. you've had as a, just as, a, as a human being in this world, you know, <laughs> to get you where you are now. And it's really cool to think about, like, here we are. You know, we start out on this path, and now we're, you know, well into our adulthood. And, and, and just to think of the journey. And, yeah. and thank you for yeah. so much for sharing this journey with us. Um, you know, it comes to mind, like we talked about how we love this love of the 80s and the love of mm-hmm. the 80s music and movies. Uh, what are some of your favorite uh, 80s songs that you like to play at your studio when you're, when you're, when you're working out? <laughs> <laughs> well, Breakfast Club is always a good go-to soundtrack. Yes. <laughs> there. yes. Simple Minds. Yes. Um, Bob Seger is my absolute favorite of all time. So wow. he kind of goes 70s and 80s. Yeah. And then Tom Petty is another favorite. I really like classic rock as my favorite stuff, but there were so yes. many great soundtracks in the 80s and even stuff from Prince and Bruce Springsteen and you know, Simple Minds, like I had mentioned earlier. But you can't name, I mean, any song that triggers the memory of the 80s for me is a good song. <laughs> I'm tell- yeah, it's all good. Totally agree. What's, what's yeah. your favorite? Uh, do you have a favorite Bob Seger album? Um, well, his greatest hit album, my favorite Bob Seger song. Let me think if I can remember the name. The Fire Inside, oh, Bob Seger. That's a, favorite yeah. song of all time. Just love that. I used to do the stairs in Santa Monica religiously, like three oh, yeah. to four days a week, and I would play his soundtrack uh, over and over and over again. But the fire inside was it, the the line that always got me was "Dreams die hard, and we watch them erode, but mm. we cannot be denied the fire inside." Uh, Look at and that's I, that's my theme, man. That's, that's, yeah. That oh amazing. my gosh! I tell you, I, I met Bob Seger. I'm from Michigan originally, and I met. Oh, I met, awesome, uh, man! I, yeah. it's, it's a longer story. It's a great story, but it's a longer story to tell. Some I'll tell you. I'm sure someday. But um, uh, Bob Seger is one of the sweetest guys, and uh, yeah. just his music just strikes a chord. Big time, uh, you know, and and so from one Bob Seger lover to another, <laughs> I, the fact that you remember those lyrics, you know, that that, that is why you're on our show today. Yes. All right, <laughs> love so, it, man. It's um, been fun. 
one. Do you want to do you want to plug anything or uh, you know give a little shout out or anything like that? How about, a, how about a teaser of something I'm working on right now? Because Great. you're talking about putting positive messages out there and really inspiring yes. people to overcome their stuff. And, and I've, I've decided once and for all that I'm going to sit down and, and write my book and I'm going to share my story. And it's going to be, I think it's going to be very eye-opening to people what I went through on, on my journey to the Olympics and even more eye-opening to people what happened to me afterwards yeah. and some of the wrong turns I took from because I went I wasn't true to myself. And I think that... Uh, people are really going to get a lot out of it in a, in a really good way. No matter what you're going through in life, I think you're going to find some inspiration in it. And I look forward to putting that out there. That's awesome. Do you have a title in mind? Working title is True to You. True to okay. You. Not the, uh, not the Fire Inside? <laughs> okay, wait, hold on now. Just, I gotta, hey, call uh-huh. Bob and see if uh-huh. we can uh, do that. I'm uh-huh. telling you, man. Like, the fire that's inside that is, is actually per- brilliant. It's gold. Right, it's just been changed. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we want to thank you uh, yeah. so much for being on our show. Um, thank you, guys. Yeah, and, really? and, yeah. and when you get fun. closer to you know uh, finishing the book, maybe we can have you back to promote it 100%. and plug it because yep. this has awesome. been a wonderful experience. Me too, man. I really enjoy talking to you guys, and, and thanks for the opportunity. If if uh, if I if if I find myself out there in November to uh, yeah 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 I'm definitely gonna Come hit up your hi. studio for sure. Yeah, I'll take you through a workout, and uh, it'll be fun. It'll be like something you've never done before. You're gonna oh my god, this stuff really yeah. works. I'm dragging it's good stuff here. Yeah, I'm dragging Dustin out there, and we will. Uh, it'll be too hot. Yeah, I was just saying, <laughs> the song well is in my head right <laughs> now. It's always in my head. Well, we know it'll be playing in the background for sure. Yes. <laughs> Well, yeah. thank you so much, Mitch, and uh, we will catch you on the flip side. Thank you again. Right, man. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Have a good day. You too. Take you care. You too, Mitch. Right. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a four. Is it five star rating? <laughs> Don't forget to subscribe and give us a five star rating on iTunes. We really. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five star rating on iTunes. If you listen to us on Spotify, that's great too. And you can find us on the internet. <laughs> Don't forget to check out our website at two dollar and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at two dollar podcast. We'll see you next time. We did it. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.